Perhaps no other film has had as much influence as The Wizard of Oz. But underneath the movie's magical technicolor scenes and stunning musical numbers were several dark secrets you may not know and will forever change how you watch The Wizard of Oz. What is up, Ewu crew? The nightmares that would plague The Wizard of Oz began long before the actual filming started. MGM Studios had purchased the rights to the 1900 classic novel by L. Frank Baum after seeing the widespread success of Walt Disney's Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. However, it took quite a while for MGM Studios to decide on which path they wanted the film to take. Pre-production was hampered by a slew of rewrites. They were also very finicky about the casting, particularly for the lead role of Dorothy Gale, the Kansas farm girl whose crazy accident kick-started the events of the story. She was initially set to be played by 10-year-old Shirley Temple, who, as America's sweetheart, guaranteed box office success. During her audition, however, it was quickly discovered that her vocal range was grossly inadequate for the musical numbers that had been slated for Dorothy. In addition, 20th Century Fox, with whom she had a contract, refused to loan her out. Because of Temple's unavailability, MGM Studios had to settle for the next best option instead. 16-year-old Judy Garland. Her contract came with an immediate caveat, though. In order to play Dorothy Gale, Garland was required to lose at least 12 pounds. While she was successful in doing so, it didn't stop studio executives from allegedly referring to her as the fat little pig with pigtails behind her back. Filming on The Wizard of Oz shut down after only two weeks when Buddy Ebsen, the actor playing the Tin Man, fell sick from the aluminum powder that was used to dust his face. Decades later, while interviewing Epson, the Florida Sun Centennial recounted this terrifying experience, saying, One night, Epson woke up in bed screaming from violent cramping in his hands, arms, and legs. When he had difficulty breathing, his wife called an ambulance and rushed him to the hospital. He remained in an oxygen tent for two weeks, recovering from the pure aluminum he had ingested into his lungs. Ebsen was subsequently fired and filming was put on pause in order to cast an adequate replacement for his role. The cast of The Wizard of Oz, specifically its main ensemble, soon encountered another nightmare. One that would continue to haunt them long after the film's release. The makeup and costumes that they were forced to wear, often for the entire 16-hour workday, weren't only uncomfortable but deadly as well. As previously mentioned, Buddy Ebsen, the original actor playing the Tin Man, was essentially poisoned by the aluminum powder that was smeared on his face, and his replacement, Jack Haley, fared no better. With him, the costume department used a thick aluminum paste to prevent the actor from accidentally ingesting the deadly compound. However, he still ended up with a serious eye infection, although this was later treated. But Ebsen and Haley weren't the only actors to suffer because of their costumes and makeup. According to Judy Garland's biography, quote, 
At age 17, Garland was a fleshy teenager heading into early womanhood. To ensure Dorothy's wholesome young appearance wouldn't be questioned by the audience, the studio resorted to strapping Garland's breasts down and utilizing corsets to evoke a slim silhouette on top of a steady diet of drugs and very little food. Because Garland was short, 4 feet 11 inches to be exact, she was unable to camouflage any extra weight. To add to that, she was often put into tight and body-hugging costumes, even though the majority of her roles called for her to sing and dance. This led to studio executives obsessing over her weight. Starting from the time she appeared in her first feature film in 1936 at just 14 years old, the head of MGM Studios, Louis B. Mayer, even restricted her food intake to just chicken soup, black coffee, and cigarettes, and he had a network of people who would monitor everything she ate and report back to him. Mayer used to refer to her as, quote, my little hunchback. The teenage Garland was also constantly fed pills to reduce her appetite. Garland later said that, From the time I was 13, there was a constant struggle between MGM and me, whether or not to eat, how much to eat, what to eat. I remember this more vividly than anything else about my childhood. During filming, she was reportedly slapped in the face by director Victor Fleming, who grew frustrated after she was unable to keep her cool for a scene in which Dorothy gives the cowardly lion a slap. Garland wouldn't stop giggling, and after multiple failed takes, Fleming apparently had enough. He took the actress to the side and slapped her across the cheek. A stunned Garland was able to nail the scene in the take that followed. Bert Lahr, who played the cowardly lion, also went through his fair share of suffering. From this portrait, it seems as if his costume is incredibly soft. Made of velvety animal hair, it covers nearly his entire body, going all the way up and around his head. This was, however, made of an actual lion hide and weighed approximately 90 pounds. It didn't allow for much ventilation, and this, combined with the intensely hot Technicolor lights that all the actors filmed under, left Lair sweating profusely throughout the entire workday. In fact, it was so bad that two production assistants were given the responsibility of drawing out the costume every night to get it ready for Lair to wear, and to sweat in again the following day. Because his makeup as the cowardly lion was so time-consuming and complicated to apply, Lair was initially not allowed to eat while on break from shooting. At first, he was agreeable to the request, and subsisted on milkshakes and soup. But as filming dragged on, he put his foot down and demanded that his makeup be redone after lunch. Meanwhile, the mask used to create the Scarecrow's distinctive face also left its actor with a few nearly permanent marks. Back in the 1930s, the art of using prosthetics wasn't nearly as advanced as it is today, which meant that they were often uncomfortable and even downright painful to wear. In Bulger's case, his mask left him with deep lines on his face that faded an entire year after filming wrapped. The costumes that the Scarecrow, the Cowardly Lion, and the Tin Man all wore were all incredibly elaborate, to the point that the three actors were forced to eat together on set. They also spent hours getting their makeup done, 
with Bulger recalling having to, quote, spend a minimum of three hours in the makeup department before we ever reached the set. But perhaps no other actor suffered more than Margaret Hamilton, whose iconic performance as the Wicked Witch of the West continues to give children nightmares to this day. While filming one of the movie's most popular scenes, one that showed her character disappearing in a flash of bright red smoke, Hamilton wasn't able to exit the stage before the effects crew started their fire. Unfortunately for her, the flames caught on to her highly flammable broom and hat. In the best-selling book, The Making of the Wizard of Oz, author Algie Harmitz described the accidental fire as scalding her chin, the bridge of her nose, her right cheek, and the right side of her forehead. The eyelashes and eyebrows on her right eye had been burnt off. Her upper lip and eyelid were badly burned. The skin on the back of Hamilton's hand was also reportedly burned off. Rather than waste resources to make sure her devastating injuries were treated, the crew and studio executives largely left Hamilton to her own devices. Realizing that no help would arrive, she was forced to call one of her friends to pick her up from the movie studio. Later, Hamilton recalled the experience, saying that, That was always amazing to me, that the studio didn't send me home in a limousine. But it was only the following day that she really experienced the brunt of the studio's callousness. While recovering from her extensive injuries, an executive called her up to ask when she would return to set. Ultimately, it took six weeks before Hamilton came back as the Wicked Witch of the West, but even then, the skin on her hands hadn't yet completely healed. Because of this, the costume department issued her green-colored gloves. Hamilton considered suing MGM Studios, but eventually decided not to, out of fear that she would never land another on-screen role again. She did, however, put her foot down when asked to take part in another stunt that involved fire, a mere few weeks after her return to the set. Her stunt double, Betty Danko, shot the scene instead, and promptly caught fire herself. After spending a total of 11 days in the hospital, the studio wrote her a check amounting to 35 US dollars for her day's work the equivalent of approximately 630 U.S. dollars today. In an interview later on, Danko said, quote, I felt as though my scalp was coming off. I guess that's because my hat and my black wig were torn loose. The agony that Hamilton experienced as the Wicked Witch of the West continued long after the film's release. Her face reportedly stayed green for weeks after shooting wrapped due to the use of copper-based ingredients in her makeup. It was actually so toxic that she was asked not to eat once it was applied in case it got into her mouth. During filming, she had to subsist on a liquid diet that was fed to her via a straw, which did little to prevent the copper makeup from seeping into her skin through her pores. Many of Hamilton's scenes, those that she legitimately worked hard for, despite constant pain, stress, and suffering, never made it past the cutting room floor because studio executives deemed them to be too scary for children. But even then, those that ended up in the final film proved to be more than enough to haunt audiences for years. 
since The Wizard of Oz was filmed in the days before computer-generated effects were developed. The crew had to depend on practical illusions and tricks for certain scenes, including one in which a gentle flurry of snow sent by Glinda the Good Witch awakens Dorothy, who is fast asleep in a field of red poppy flowers. To simulate this icy blast, chrysotile asbestos, a known carcinogen, was used. The broomstick held by the Wicked Witch of the West, as well as the Scarecrow's entire costume, also consisted of this lethal compound. But this wasn't a trick unique to the Wizard of Oz. According to Atlas Obscura, the early days of Hollywood saw a frequent use of asbestos to simulate fake snow in films. Quote, Despite the fact that asbestos health risks were already known at the time, Film sets started using one of the purest forms of asbestos on film stages, in part because it was fireproof and looked close enough to snow that it could fool the audience. Besides its deadly costumes and props, The Wizard of Oz is also infamous for the unequal wages that its actors earned, despite their masterful performances. For instance, although Judy Garland was undoubtedly the star of the film, she was only reportedly paid approximately $500 U.S. per week, the equivalent of roughly $9,000 U.S. dollars today. While this is no laughable amount, it's certainly a stark contrast to what her co-stars, Ray Bulger as the Scarecrow and Jack Haley as the Tin Man, were paid. These two were reportedly the film's highest-paid actors, with each bringing home about $3,000 U.S. dollars per week the equivalent of about 54,000 U.S. dollars today. More surprisingly, though, was just how Terry the Terrier, who played Toto, was paid 125 U.S. dollars per week, or about 2,000 in today's dollars. This was significantly more than what the Munchkins earned, most of whom were given a measly $50 U.S. per week, which is roughly about 900 U.S. dollars today. All 124 actors who portrayed the Munchkins were also never acknowledged for their performance and their names are noticeably absent from the film's final credits. The Munchkins, or to be more specific, their actors, were definitely one of the most controversial things about The Wizard of Oz. After Garland's death, her ex-husband, Sid Luft, reportedly wrote in an unfinished memoir that they had inappropriately touched her on set. Quote, they made Judy's life miserable by putting their hands under her dress. While this allegation has never been proven or debunked, the teenaged Garland was confirmed to have been disturbed by the rowdiness of the actors. She was cited as having said that one of them, a gentleman of about 40, asked me for dinner, and I didn't want to say, I can't because you're a midget. So I just said, no, my mother wouldn't like it. And he said, come on, bring your ma too. She also reportedly added that, quote, There were hundreds of them. They put them all in one hotel. They got smashed every night and the police would pick them up in butterfly nets. The poor things. However, these quotes from Garland are extremely different from the recollections of actor Jerry Marin, who, in 2018, was the last surviving munchkin. While he acknowledged the righteous reputation of his co-stars, he remembered Garland as having presented all 124 of them with a signed photo and a box of chocolates after their last shoot. According to Marin, quote, She was a movie star, and I figured she'd be a pain in the neck, 
but she was glad to meet us, and we were glad to meet her. She was an angel. While filming, the actors playing the munchkins all stayed at the Culver Hotel in Hollywood, which reportedly became the site of their drunken debauchery during the entire eight weeks that they were there. An actor who went by the name The Count was reportedly also fired from the set. One crew member allegedly said that, quote, Once, when he was due on set, he went missing. Then, we heard a whining sound coming from the men's room. He had gotten plastered during lunch, fallen into the toilet bowl, and could not get out. The film's screenwriter, Noel Langley, also reportedly claimed that the male munchkins were womanizers who constantly searched for new conquests, saying they'd raid the studio lot. The showgirls had to be escorted in bunches with armed guards. The alleged behavior of the munchkins became so infamous that it served as the subject of a comedy film that starred Carrie Fisher and Chevy Chase. There is one urban legend about the munchkins which has persistently haunted the Wizard of Oz throughout the years. Many claim that if one looks close enough during the scene wherein Dorothy and Scarecrow are attempting to pick apples, a munchkin can be seen hanging himself in the background. However, this has been long debunked. Apparently, the crew had brought in live birds to wander around that particular set in order to make it more realistic. And so the shadow isn't in fact a munchkin, but rather a bird spreading its wings and preparing to fly. Despite its many setbacks, filming on The Wizard of Oz continued until it was finally displayed in theaters nationwide on August 25, 1939. Initially, though, the cast's literal blood, sweat, and tears were for naught. It had been released at the tail end of the decades-long Great Depression, which meant that Americans weren't keen on spending their hard-earned money to see a children's show. More importantly, the film found itself in fierce competition with another blockbuster that same year. The period drama Gone with the Wind was also released in 1939. The Wizard of Oz made barely enough to recoup its 2.8 million U.S. dollar budget, which would be the equivalent of roughly 51.3 million U.S. dollars today. While it did nab the Oscar for both Best Original Score and Best Original Song for Over the Rainbow, it was largely considered to be a commercial failure. That is, until it was aired by CBS on November 3rd, 1956 just in time for the holiday season. Even after fading from broadcast television, The Wizard of Oz remains to still be considered one of the greatest films of all time, consistently making it to the lists issued by the American Film Institute, or the AFI. Besides its revolutionary use of technicolor, the stunning musical numbers, and its rightful place in film history as a great American classic, The Wizard of Oz is also famous or rather infamous, for being the film that killed its lead actress, Judy Garland. Garland, born Frances Ethel Gum, on June 10, 1922, had started performing on stage when she was only two years old. She worked with her mother, Ethel, and her sisters on a variety of vaudeville gigs. Her mother had been the first one to give Garland pills, both to give her the energy she needed to keep up with their shows and to go to sleep. Some have dubbed Garland's mother the real Wicked Witch of the West. She performed with her mother until 1935, 
after which she signed on with MGM Studios. Back then, laws regarding Hollywood and child stars were non-existent, which meant that Garland was completely controlled by the studio's executives. Similar to her other contemporaries, she was given more than just pills to curb her appetite. In order to keep up with the long hours of filming and a grueling work schedule, she was also given stimulants such as amphetamines. These pills would keep her up all night, unable to sleep until she was also given barbiturates to knock her out. Soon, Garland relied heavily on the cocktail of drugs she was given just to perform. This was exacerbated once filming on The Wizard of Oz began. Garland later said in an interview, quote, They had us working days and nights on end. They'd give us pills to keep us on our feet long after we were exhausted. Then they'd take us to the studio hospital and knock us out with sleeping pills. Then after four hours, they'd wake us up and give us the pep pills again so we could work 72 hours in a row. According to the biography website, Garland's steady diet of amphetamines and barbiturates slimmed her physique and enabled her to get through shooting. After The Wizard of Oz, Garland won a Special Academy Award for her performance. The Wizard of Oz became her crowning achievement and it immediately made her a Hollywood icon. Unfortunately, it also left her dependent on drugs, which affected her health and her career for the rest of her life. By the time she left the set of The Wizard of Oz and hit her early 20s, Garland was completely dependent on drugs, an addiction that spiraled out of control in 1947 when she suffered a nervous breakdown. She attempted to take her life twice and left MGM Studios. The years that followed were difficult. However, a series of comeback concerts, along with her masterful performance in Warner Brothers' A Star is Born, seemed to set the stage for Garland's return to the big screen. This was hindered, though, by her drug use. She toured consistently to make enough money to care for her children, Liza Minnelli, Lorna Luft, and Joey Luft, and saw a series of dramatic highs followed by crashing lows. Finally, on June 22, 1969, a mere 12 days after her 47th birthday, Garland was found dead in the bathroom of her rented home in Belgravia, London. Her cause of death is believed to be an unintentional overdose of barbiturates. The film's influence is constantly acknowledged and praised. However, the suffering that the cast endured is often ignored or not even known. Knowing all of this, watching the misadventures of a Kansas farm girl, a tin man, a cowardly lion, and a scarecrow hits a bit different, right? <laughs> 